I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Stuart and Felicity of Melbourne-based Bar Studio about their international design practice. So, Stuart and Felicity, I wanted to start off by first saying thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's such a great pleasure to have you here and to be chatting with you. Uh, And I wanted to preface my first question by saying that I would normally do my research beforehand, uh, before an interview of any kind, uh, but there's very little information about either of you out there online. Um, It's a deliberate strategy, I think. (laughs) Well, we feel very privileged to have you in that case. So if you don't mind, I I would like to start at the start, go back to the very beginning of uh, where and when you first met and how you came to study architecture and interior design and where it all began. Well, we can answer that in one one response. So yeah, Stuart and I both uh, studied architecture in Perth at UWA. And that is, in fact, where we met. Um, so, uh, yeah, we did the Ford in the Trenches of Architecture School together uh, and worked there for a year or two. Um, I worked uh, worked my way through uni in cafes and pubs and um, even in the Perth Hilton Hotel. So kind of hospitality was part of um, my early days. Um, but really, and we worked for a year or two in, in Perth, me in Melbourne before heading out, but I think really probably the most formative chapter for us really comes in a decision to move to New York and to try a hand working there. So we worked in quite different areas. I worked in civic architecture and um, probably most uh, pertinently to, to what we do now, Stuart uh, worked with Tony Chi for six years. But, um, yeah, by, by mistake in the beginning. I mean, <laughs> educated as an architect and um, had, had one of those New York experiences where really needed to find a job desperately or go home quickly um, and, um, and was fortunate enough to um, have a number of uh, references who led to other references who led me to a guy named Tony Chi, um, who at that stage I'd never heard of. Um, and um, and uh, yes, I interviewed there um, without a folio, and uh, and was uh, um, and was told I was a good listener, and because um, <laughs> um, uh, Tony likes to talk, and David, who I interviewed with, likes to talk, and I was I was brought on board to um, to literally uh, um, have a go, as it were. So yeah, it was very kind of inauspicious beginnings um, with Tony, and um, you know, in terms of um, breaks. Over all of the years, all of our big breaks have been um, relationships and based on relationships. And, and that, that first uh, relationship with, with Tony was obviously the, um, a, a key relationship. Um, in nine, that was 1996, 1997 when we, when we moved to New York. And, uh, and yeah, all the, that kind of the understanding of the... Um, I mean, I was somebody who came from... Uh, 
kind of nuts and bolts architecture school and all of a sudden to be, to be dealing in the high, um, high world of interior design, um, particularly in restaurants in F&B, was, uh, was quite a shock and quite a change. Mm, I bet, but what an amazing accident. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it's one of those things that, that changes your life. Totally unexpected. I literally thought I was going to be there for two or three months. I literally started working on a, on a project called um, Poop Deck for San Miguel Breweries in, uh, in the Philippines and designing a light, lighthouse gift store. And I was thinking, nah, um, this is not for me. I can't do this. But, um, but the opportunities changed fairly radically, fairly quickly. And, um, and the opportunities that came with Tony were amazing. And, um, and, uh, and, and basically developed from there. Yeah, I mean, and you'd say that really a lot of the, the relationships that carried forward, like particularly your work with Hyatt, Hyatt's been a, a client of ours right through our history, but that really uh, got its basis in your time at Tony Chi. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and just the, the basis for most of what we do, the, the kind of belief that relationships, trust, operations, master planning and, and a really strong um, sense of space are the, are the basis for all design all really all really started um, in in my time at Tony's um, but most importantly I think the while Tony and I are incredibly different personalities for anyone who knows Tony or anyone who knows me um, the the key thing that ties us together is just the passion for design and uh, and that's very evident with Tony um, evident in a very different way with me but uh, yeah that was that was a key that was a key the key beginning of everything mm. I'm glad you mentioned big breaks. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you about that. And it's interesting that you say that they revolve around relationships. Uh, so I actually wanted to ask you how you first met Sonia from Rosewood, uh, because they've clearly become a key client of yours and uh, Bar Studio has left their signature on a number of their properties over the years. So how did that relationship first come about? Um, that came about through um uh, through working on Grand Hyatt Hong Kong, so uh, yes, we'd um, we'd gone. Um, the Cheng family. Yeah, the the, the Cheng family are the owners of Grand Hyatt Hong Kong, and uh, and we'd now because of our great relationship with Hyatt, um, Hyatt had brought us on board to do the renovation of Grand Hyatt Hong Kong, and uh, I think Sonia was uh, just back from New York and wanting to turn her hand to the hospitality business and uh, and being able to develop a new hotel brand. Um, so she met us on Grand Hyatt Hong Kong and, um, and then um, tried to, to lure us to doing a project in, uh, in Beijing, which, uh, which, which turned out to be uh, Rosewood Beijing after many iterations. So that was, uh, you know, it certainly sits in the big breaks category. Um, that's been a fundamental relationship for the studio and a really great sort of personal professional relationship and, and I think probably epitomises the, the trust uh, experience. So I think when when we started designing the Rosewood Beijing, which is, as Stuart said, started as um, a new brand that was being established before the family bought the Rosewood brand, um, we really were forging something new together. And Sonia had not yet um, made her name personally in the in the hotel world. So. Um, she was at that early stage quite reliant on the advice and input and direction and strong vision of others um, and through those interactions really grew 
those and has gone on to be um, an extraordinary um, person in, in the hotel world. Yeah, it's been an amazing opportunity. I mean, uh, we've been very lucky to be on the um, in that relationship with Tony at the beginning of his um, um, ascent into hotel design. We really started out just designing restaurants and bars with Tony before he got into hotels. And, um, and then to be with Sonia at the beginning of um, um, her journey into uh, with Rosewood has been, it, it's uh, in many ways very lucky, um, in the right place at the right time um, for both of those experiences. Mm. And so how old was Bar Studio when all of that started with Rosewood? Six. We were six, I think. So we we started in 2003 and uh, we first met Sonia in 2009. Uh, That's really when we started the Rosewood Beijing, which was sort of six or seven years in the making. So uh, it was a long history before we had something out in the world um, built with Rosewood and and the completion of that project was, was also the the opening of a lot of other opportunities that, that uh, finally there was a, a built project that Sonia could point to uh, in referring us to other um, owners uh, as somebody with the credentials to deliver the projects. Yeah, because as, as you've noted in the beginning, the, um, there's not a lot about us out there um, and that's specifically because we're interested in... Um, in design referrals and basically establishing relationships. Um, And so all of our early work was really done through relationships established with Tony and with Hyatt and then then with Sonia. Um, But it's been an interesting journey since, uh, um, obviously since Rosewood Beijing opened, um, many people have become much more aware of uh, um, who we are and what we do. Um, And that has has opened up a whole heap of um, additional opportunities for us. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's kind of amazing that you're actually based in Melbourne, which is also my hometown, uh, as there are very few firms in Australia that are working as internationally as you are. Um, d- did that happen organically or did you always intend, uh, you know, when you came back to Australia from New York, that you needed to continue to work internationally and keep that connection with the outside world? Well, when we when we decided to move back from New York um, to to Australia, um, every, well, a lot of people told us they thought it was career suicide because in the hotel design world, really uh, in Asia, most people uh, exist either in Hong Kong or in Singapore, and so we were encouraged to move there. And I can remember um, you know, telling people, "No, no, we're we're moving back to Australia," and they went, "Well, at least move to Sydney. Nobody's heard of Melbourne." Um, <laughs> so we had that. Um, <laughs> We had, the, and that was really the case back in two thousand and three. In many ways, um, Australia was wasn't really on the map, and um, and that's and that um, if you knew of Australia design wise, it was really Sydney and Melbourne. Melbourne's reputation as a design city or as a lifestyle city um, was really only just was only really only just beginning. Um, but our intention to move back um, and be really international designers based in Melbourne rather than Melbourne designers doing international work was um, a very conscious decision. Um, I mean, I think Melbourne's got, Melbourne's got such a great um, group of, um, or culture of design um, and it's incredibly strong and we wanted to... And hospitality. And hospitality, yeah. And we wanted to be able to um, find a way 
or understand how to differentiate ourselves from that. And really, what we loved about New York um, and the offices we worked in in New York and the and the international work we were doing was was being international. I mean, um, and, and relatively um, under the radar in, in a way. Hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, New York's such an international such an international city, and um, Tony's office in New York and the office that Felicity worked in were incredibly international in terms of the, the, the people that worked there. The projects we worked on were incredibly international. Um, and so to come back to Melbourne, um, uh, we were keen to be able to hold on to all of those connections, the idea that our office would be an international office in terms of the people we employed, in terms of the, the projects we, uh, um, we went after. Um, and in, also just in terms of our mindset and, and the ability to be able to differentiate ourselves from, um, from the rest of the design community in Melbourne. I think rightly or wrongly, we felt we, we worried that it was going to be a heavy landing when we came back to Australia because, you know, particularly coming from Perth, which is famously the most remote city in the world and travelling the 36 hours door to door each year to get home from New York we just became acutely aware of the physical distance from Australia and other parts of the world. And so we were just determined to tie ourselves to the world in, in the kinds of projects we did. But then, yes, later in terms of actually who, who we employed in the staff in the studio, um, that we, we um, deliberately hired people who were... Uh, foreign or who had lived a meaningful time overseas, returning Australians, um, just people who had had meaningful experiences living and working in the world. And it was important for us to surround ourselves with that um, kind of international worldly kind of community of, of like-minded people. So that was a very conscious decision. And, you know, we've got a great roll call of nations in the studio, which is a constant pleasure. Yeah, and in many ways we had we had no choice. Um, I mean, we, we were um, our history as as working in high end hotel design. Um, there really wasn't anything when we moved back to Australia in two thousand and three that was being done in the hotel world in Australia. There were a few small scale renovations, um, which we ended up doing a renovation, small scale renovation of public areas at Grand Hyatt Melbourne, and doing Park Hyatt Sydney, but. Um, there, Park there, Hyatt Sydney was really the trophy at that moment. I think that, that when we, we won that project, we thought, great, here's a premier hotel in Australia. And we also felt a certain amount of, well, what else is there going to be in Australia after this? So we really felt that to, to work in that high-end luxury area that there wasn't a strong market here, but there also wasn't a skill base here. So when we first started... Um, it was actually fairly difficult to find um, staff who had that kind of experience. So that's part of what drove the international staff, but it also in those early days made us very reliant on Stuart's expertise um, and that from the start we really we, we came to it with not textbook hotel design because you couldn't even hire that if you wanted it. So we, we really kind of, I guess, built our own culture, built our own... Um, design values and instilled them in the staff uh, in the studio. Yeah, and the funny thing was um, we weren't actually hotel designers <laughs> at that stage either. Um, <laughs> well, and we'd come out of uh, my experience at Tony and even Tony's experience up to that point was just in doing um, restaurants and bars in, in hotels. So 
biggest thing we'd done, I think, was four restaurants and a bar in Grand Hyatt, Tokyo. <laughs> and, um, and, and all of a sudden, um, you know, um, we kept our relationship with Tony, obviously, and, uh, and he was, he's been incred- incredibly great at throwing opportunities over time. Um, and that was our, you know, one of our first, op- our first kind of opportunities in, uh, as bar um, were whole hotels that he threw at us. And I said, you know, I said to him, Tony, we've never done a hotel. And, and, and I said, you've never done a hotel. And he said, don't worry, it's just, it's not too difficult. You can, you can figure it out. I know you can figure it out. You've done restaurants and bars. You've done this, you've done that. Just, and then, and then he threw us a second one. And I went, Tony, we can't do one hotel, let alone two. And he said, one, two, what's the difference? It's, um, and so it was, there was a huge amount of just learning on the, learning on the job. Um, and, and the, you know, the thing that got us through was just, the, the the great relationships that we've had over time um, and the um, the people that supported us um, and, and, and the continued drive and to the support will us to, to make it happen. Yes. I, I think probably one of my my earliest roles in the studio was um, uh, being in a Bangkok hotel, saying to it, "No, you are a hotel designer. You are," <laughs> because really we, we we had to reinvent ourselves as hotel designers. We had that beautiful moment of. <laughs> Arriving at what we thought was an introduction meeting um, to all to the to the project, and we met the project manager um, the day before, and he he basically said, "Right, so um, um, what are you going to be presenting? Um, we're expecting you know a vision for the hotel and all of this kind of stuff." And I just went, "Ah!" <laughs> and so um, yes, we quickly it was a hotel room job qu- wasn't it? quickly <laughs> ran back to the hotel. Um, our hotel room, and I started madly sketching. And Felicity decided that the best course of action was to go to sleep, so that she could be. <laughs> she, that, she, she, somebody needs to be lucid in the morning. She could be fresh the next day. But I'd wake her up every couple of hours, going, ah, "I can't do it," and she'd say, "You can." So, um, and that's, how hard can it be? That's and that's the you know, the other, obviously incredibly important. Um, break or relationship, you know, we've talked about Tony and 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 Hyatt, and then uh, and then um, and then the relationship with Sonia. But the the relationship with Felicity, um, the the fact that she decided to come over to the dark side and be a um, and and join and join me and and form was was one of the obviously uh, incredibly um, pivotal breaks um, or makings. It was was the making of bar and that's shifted um shifted things so incredibly over time certainly couldn't have uh, done it independently well yes we did but after that period we decided to go and live in different cities <laughs> <laughs> the, the bit we didn't quite include in it didn't quite include in our history was that yes we did a job together um, on a food hall in in perth for, we, a, for a family for a family member um which uh, which um felicity moved to melbourne for a year and i moved to new york for a year after that and uh and, uh, and then Felicity... Technically, it was only supposed to be three to six months after which we'd decide which city it was going to be. But, um, yeah, so... It took a year and then, then I went to New York and now we've ended up in Melbourne. So we've done both now. Yeah, we have. So let's talk a bit about the studio. Uh, how big is the team now? Oh. Um, Depends how you count it, really. Um, uh, it's in the zone of 65-ish. Yeah, which is um, 
you know, it's interesting we sort of think about people often ask us about growth. What's what's did you plan to grow? And essentially it's probably fair to say we always planned not to grow. We always had this vision of being a boutique studio. Um, for us it's really all about the direct connection to the projects, direct and personal connection to the projects. And, um, you know, Stuart likes to say when we uh, built out, fitted out our Flinders Lane studio, we really purposefully built it with a ceiling of 20 to 25 people. We physically made it not comfortable to have more than that number of people because that was that was our idea of um, what we thought you needed to do to keep that connection with projects. But, um, and then we jammed 45 people into that space <laughs> and made them really uncomfortable yeah, so for a bit. Yeah, that was... and, and illogically um, kind of... Yeah, so we've now got additional stories. office space and... <laughs> And all that kind of stuff. So we haven't jammed 65 people no. into a space of 20. But, but the, the important thing in, in that growth is really kind of... That, that was very much our perception of who we were, that we, we, we wanted to keep that connection. We thought we needed to be small to do it. But, you know, when you worked very hard to to deliver the for yourself the opportunity to do great projects, it's very hard to turn them away when they arrive. Um, so... Um, you take them on and you and you grow and I think um, we've sort of really worked very hard through the years to keep evolving our processes at how we do things to ensure that we both stay in some way very personally connected and, and yeah, well, Stuart's I, I, much more fundamental. I think that's the thing about saying we never thought we could get to a point where we, we could have enough good people in the office and enough of a culture that was created and still maintain a personal uh, the personal connection to all of our projects and our external relationships to be able to and the people within the studio too. yeah to be able to get above twenty but um, as we've progressed it's just that we've had um, with uh, with the people that we've um, worked with in the office and an amazing core group of people that are across every every single project that we do um, there's just been the ability to to kind of get larger. And as, as Felicity said, it's always incredibly difficult to say no to a project um, that's a, a great project when it walks in the door. Though I, I, I'm pretty happy that she said that because she's always the one that says I'm no. And um, yes. <laughs> I'm always the one that says, we can't say no to this project. It's such a great project. And she always says, well, we can't say yes because we don't have the staff to do it. We don't, it will but, break us, therefore yeah. we will say no. Um, so, yeah. So we're, we're always... Where the we're a balancing myself, so we counterbalance each other, and um, and somehow always come to a solution that seems to almost work. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's part of the interesting, the interest in the journey, yeah. is uh, the negotiation between us and uh, and but everybody else. Mm, I was going to actually ask you how the two of you define your roles. Are you actually both creative directors? Ooh. So There's a touchy question. A touchy subject. That one. <laughs> let me just say, <laughs> let me just say, I would say there's always tension in in how we split the role. That that that's been a constant in the studio, and that's kind of how we split the role within the studio, and and also how we split the role between work and home. Um, uh, so yeah, I'd say that's a constantly evolving uh, 
negotiation or wrestle between us. Um, yeah, my notes on that say felicity is the perspective, the rock, and the quirk. Oh, there um, you go. <laughs> and I'm the engine, the driver, and the one who can't stop. Um, so, in, in, in simple terms, Felicity anchors the business and I anchor the design, but the reality is far more complex than that. Um, uh, we, you know, totally balance each other out on both of those things and rely on each other. And, um, you know, design-wise, Felicity sits more on the outside, watching, prodding, you know, being the critic, putting the ideas in my path and in everybody's path, consciously and unconsciously, influencing everything she's kind of like the controller that sits out there looking at Don't things and silly. kind of that, sure it was your idea that, yeah well, yeah she makes me feel like it's all my idea eventually um, whereas it's generally her who lays the crumbs for me to follow i think um but uh but yes i'm i'm generally the one fully absorbed in projects in in what i do totally passionate but um but sometimes unable to lift my head up to see the to see the big picture and the perspective of what needs to happen in the office. And Felicity's always very willing to, to um, slap me around and make me see reality, which is, which is, always, um, which is always great for both the, both the office and for the projects. From my point of view, the project always needs that. A great project always needs that ability to be able to pull back and reassess it and get the perspective on it, as does, you know, as does, as do most things. Well, yeah, I, I think it's, it's an interesting one because it's a question um, I'm always asking and kind of answering in different ways each year. Um, yeah, but I would say that really probably it boils down to Stuart anchors every project in the studio um, and, you know, he's in, inherently the design director anchor, leader, driver on, on each and every project in the studio um, and that historically my role has been more around kind of the project establishment phase and the wrangling of all of the factors and um, all of the different stakeholder con concerns, the design team to, to provide the pathway to channel into a vision and so um, and building the team to deliver on that vision but uh, along the way, uh, probably fair to say I got swallowed by the demands of business and parenthood. Um, and now I'm really um, working to try to forge my way back to um, to the artisanal, really. That's where, where I want to be headed um, and aspiring to kind of keep that, that management part of my role at more arm's length. So, you know, we have a, we have a little board in our studio, um, so Stuart and I both sort of drive the business decisions, I guess, from that, and we have a steering group in the studio that um, is is part of really sharing in the decisions and the direction and the load of of managing the studio. Um, and with that group in there, I'm, I'm hoping, and, and and also I guess a whole next generation of, of leaders growing up in the studio, and I'm I'm hoping that brings me more space to pursue the artisanal because for me it's always been the two the two ends of the design spectrum that really interests me. I, I come from a background in really more civic public design and, and what's interesting to me about hotel design is that it, it you know, hotels really are microcosms of cities. They've got all of the, those uh, different typologies inherent 
Winnick within them, um, and that they are the place where, where public spaces meet the private realm, and I just find that an interesting um, part of the design. But obviously, kind of working in the, the luxury space also affords us the opportunity to bring um, the artisanal to the projects, and so that's really where I want to invest. Yeah. And the other, other part that's interesting for me is, is just that that management of all of the different stakeholders. You know, I think what's interesting, hotels are very political. You have such different groups within ownership teams, within operator teams, there's many and varied different concerns. And I think for us there's always been that interest in how the design, how you manage the situation and how the, the design vision has to pull together so many disparate things. And, and give them a roadmap to go forward. So that that thing is, I think, what's always been very interesting for us and has also been something that differentiates us from others, that we, we're good at creating cohesion and putting a project on track so that by the time we've delivered a master concept or a conceptual design, people just really feel like now we know where we're going. So that that's sort of... That's the big bad challenge, I think, in the beginning, that it's, it's a big bone. And I think it motivates both of us in, in different ways. Yeah. And on the, on the artisan front and on the, on the design front, I think, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the things that we've always done um, as a studio is, is looked to the, the places that we're working in um, to understand local, local crafts, local artisans, as, as a way of being able to incorporate that in our design um, and, and to make our design different um, for each place that we work in. But increasingly, um, you know, the, the more work we do and the more projects we take on, that, that ability to be able to um, keep things fresh um, is incredibly important. And one of the things I think Felicity does really well is that she's, she's continually out there trying to um, come up with ideas or things, not specifically for projects, but just for interest's sake. That the, it's kind of the inspiration that says, isn't this interesting? Isn't that interesting? Look over here, what about this? Um, so between, um, between Felicity and, the, and the, the new young guns in the office, and, oh, and Sonia as well, Sonia, Sonia is always prodding me going, I want something different, I want something new, I want something I've never seen before. Um, so, We've got it. We've. I'm lucky enough. I'm the one who kind of holds on to. Uh, I deliver the consistency. I deliver something that is continually got the same backbone of bar. But it's always incredibly important to be able to have all of these relationships um, that and um, uh, that that create the difference or force you into or inspire you into a um, a different way of doing things and a different look a different aesthetic a different uh, a different operation a different concept mm -hmm. different relationships different artisans different places different different everything so you know it's so one of the like things that continually inspires machine. me is 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 being able to mm -hmm. to be able to work with all of these different people in all of these different places um, and being being able to try to yes edit it into a um, into a cohesive cohesive vision there you go mm. i think that word artisanal is fantastic and one of the things that i really enjoyed about visiting your studio and workshop in melbourne which was probably a few years ago now uh, and that we featured in an earlier issue of the magazine 
uh, the, was the workshop space and what you have there is really quite unique. I've never seen anything quite like that before or at least to that extent uh, in any other design studio that I can think of. Uh, and I'd, I'd really love to hear in your words what that space is to you and how that fits in with everything that you've just described about your work. How does it fit in with your process and what does it bring to your work? Well, it's, a, it's, it's inspiration, but it's the beginnings of inspiration in, in many ways. Um, the, uh, a lot of the artisanal stuff that we did in the past and continue to do is based on artisans outside um, of our office and in each place, but the the more we the more we grow, the more the desire is to be able to um, pull things into the um, into our office and be able to, um, as well to be able to supplement that external um, inspiration. And one of the one of the tricky things about working in an international office is that um, for um, not for me because I'm always travelling, but for the people that are um, in the in the office, is that. It's very difficult to get hands-on in a lot of ways because the projects are overseas. So one of the one of the key things, I think, for people and for designers is to be able to engage with things in a hands-on manner. And that's the that's the idea or the inspiration behind um, developing a workshop and developing uh, this uh, the ability for people to be hands-on and to be able to create things and to be able to make things. Yeah, we're sort um, of looking we're, to, to find some different cycles of gratification in a way too. You know, our projects are three to six years long and they're, they're far away. So um, as you said, it's about that immediacy of the making um, and design through making, uh, but also it's about the, the satisfaction of starting and finishing something and seeing an outcome for, for what you're working on. So part of it's about that. Um, and yeah, the other the thing about the design through making is that we we really want people to, if, if you can't go on site and you can't see how something's built, how do you build that understanding in, um, in the studio? So we're really wanting people to see it happening in front of them, to participate in it. We've done workshop training programs where people go through do the whole how does all this equipment work um you know i would say we've still got work to do in bringing alive the the um we've got a lot of work to do i think i mean uh we're 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 at the we're at the very early stages and aspirational stages of that so it it hasn't um we've got a vision for how that will be and um and you know felicity is uh, felicity and stephen in our office have certainly um, started engaging with with that um, um, on a on a much more direct level. Um, the idea with all of these things is that they take. Well, actually, it's not the idea. It's the reality of all of these things is that they end up taking time um, to to get to the full um, full realization. And things change as you go, go along the journey. So we're yes, we're it's at the aspirational stage. Um, we've got the equipment. Um, we've got the aspirations, and we're slowly and uh, slowly and surely um, getting engaged with the actual making. But the desire is to really um, is to really get Make far more involved really in that time. in the yeah. um, as we as we go along. 
And you referred to travelling before. Uh, Obviously, pre-COVID, Stuart, your travel schedule was particularly gruelling before all of this. Uh, I'm really curious to know how you're dealing with that. Has this been a nice, pleasant break for you or are you getting cabin fever and starting to climb the walls? How are you dealing with not heading out to the airport as regularly as you were? Yeah, all of the above, I think. Um, It's... (laughs) It's yeah, it's it obviously crazy times at the moment, and um, um, you know Australia has been incredibly lucky in terms of um, in terms of how it's coped with the um, with the moment. Um, we've um, strangely we just we literally um, just opened an office in Madrid to deal with a project that uh, with Rosewood that we're doing in Madrid, and um, um, we. Uh, we found a great little space. We um, did a very simple renovation and we opened it and literally we opened it on a Friday and had to close it on a Monday for the, um, 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 obviously the, our guys are still working over there, but the uh, the office space had to close down and we're obviously all working from, um, still working from home in Melbourne as well. In terms of, um, in terms of um, travel, um, the family, I I was going to say the family's really happy. The family's mostly really happy. They <laughs> they thought they would. They they thought that they wanted me around a hundred percent of the time. But I think the balance is probably um, they'd like me to travel a little little bit, a, a lot less than I did before, but a little bit more than I do now. Um, <laughs> um, but I think you know one of the everybody's um, well not everybody, but um, so much of the world is saying actually. It's been a really good exercise in being able to learn how to use Zoom, um, and I think that in terms of, um, I didn't think as an office we'd be able to um, manage the design process that successfully, but it's been it's been equally, if not more, efficient in many ways. Um, there's a few a few uh, difficulties, but in in most ways we've managed to to do things just as successfully. The the but that's based on having pre-existing relationships with everybody in the office. The hardest one has been um, how to how to present and how to communicate um, internationally um, without flying there and without uh, mm. without. I have a I have a kind of um, quirky um, <laughs> kind of rambling presentation style, which it's, it's really Stuart's, doesn't translate to Zoom at all. Yeah, think, um, so uh, I'm having to change that. Stuart's having to to rein himself in and become more. Uh, articulate in uh, his choice of words because he's always functioned with a, a certain amount of being able to lock everyone in the room, just close the door and lock it and say, no one leaves here till I've got across what I want to say. Um, and, uh, of course, in a Zoom meeting, you've got to do a whole lot more to hold your audience um, and and usually in a shorter, tighter Time frame. So, so we've actually. I'm trying to do that with translation. We're doing yeah. a, a couple of tr- Chinese projects or projects in China at the moment, and uh, and trying to translate. Trying to translate what I'm actually saying is a is a nightmare. <laughs> Poor so people a bit of involved. Forewarning is 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 good in yeah. order. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think in short, it's been you know um, I'm sure for a lot of people it's not unique to us, but it's been a a really interesting period. We really um, didn't think that we would be able to be as successful as we have in collaborating remotely. We're such a collaborative studio um, that we were concerned, but we we made the switch 
very quickly and um, just were really um, happy and relieved at uh, how well those collaborations could work and in some cases we found that it was better um, and in other cases we've had to find workarounds. Um, and yeah, the so ability to, to mute other people is good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, People have been using that function on me, evidently, yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, clear screens, <laughs> quite good to those fat finger scribbles, but, mm. um, yeah. So do you think you'll somewhat continue in that way? Sorry to interrupt, but, uh, yeah, do you think you'll continue with that mix of digital and real life when that becomes possible again? Definitely we do. So obviously some of the, the benefits are, are we've gained a whole lot of flexibility and the working from home does a whole lot of things um, for the studio in terms of um, allowing people to work from home more often, which uh, obviously is a good thing for work-family balance. Um, so we're certainly seeing that that's, that's been proven. We can, we can achieve that. So um, that will be a good thing. I think the interesting thing about travel, which is something we're seeing and where travel is potentially heading after this time, is that... Um, it will become a lot more about meaningful travel, that for us work-wise, um, that things that can be done remotely may well be done remotely, but uh, and, and travelling to our projects will probably be more for discrete, strategic, um, uh, meaningful travel. So when we're going into a new city that we don't know, um, we're meeting new clients and those those very important interactions, um, nothing beats being in the room and you really need to explore a city and feel it and understand it. But other things we can probably manage remotely and that's going to be um, efficient for the clients. We'll be able to be in contact more often it'll save them some travel expenses you know there, there are a lot of things that we can see how we can change up our processes in an ongoing way yeah i mean i think you know it's there's so many good things and so many bad things in in this particular moment and if we can manage to take the good things from um pre-covid and the good things from post-covid and 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 tie them into together then then obviously we we're in a good position. If we take the bad and the bad, then that would be uh, that would be terrible. Mm -hmm. So my final question to you, as designers of public spaces, Felicity, I think you had a really great definition of hotels as microcosms of cities, which is a great description. So as designers working in that space, have you had any thoughts on how hotels may be designed differently, or even restaurants? in the near future? Is this something that you're talking to clients about yet or is it too premature to be thinking about that? We're certainly, we're certainly in conversation with our clients about it and I think that, that that's going to be an evolving picture for some time and there are things that we're seeing that may be more about the, the short term, the next year or two, versus what's the impact going to be in the longer view. Um, and... Uh, so, yeah, it's certainly an ongoing dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's um, hoping for the best and planning for the worst in terms of, um, in terms of thinking at the moment. And, it's, um, and I don't think that... Um, it would, it's 
it's impossible to be able to tell what the um, what the impact of this is going to be, and how and how much, what the new normal is going to be, and how it's related to the old normal. Um, there's a, some you know some very um, obvious things to deal with uh, with the short term um, um, in terms of in terms of from an operational side of things, and and they have impacts on on how you design. Um, from the from the very small scale things like um, um, how housekeeping works and how buffets might work um, to to much bigger picture things of actually what um, what what would um, um, hospitality be um, as a uh, as a curated experience to deal with to deal with quarantine um, and how can that how can that work. Um, Across across different um, different outlets from different operator sorry from the same operator across the same from the same country or the same city. Yeah, um, I think so there's that plays into the the I guess you're starting to see some expectation that travel will move to be a, a longer, slower, more meaningful journey. Um, that perhaps uh, perhaps it's going to be a good thing to to look at that as Stuart said curated experience of people lulling themselves into the Australian region, perhaps how do we deal with the quarantine moment and make that a meaningful time, not an on-hold time, and how do we then link those people to different properties, different locations uh, in a way that people continue to feel safe um, and that probably the curation of journey will become more important, that people still want to go out, they still want to explore, they still want new, new experiences, but perhaps they would like more careful hosting of that, somebody choreographing that and, and plotting the journey for them. Yeah, um, particularly at the high end mm. um, of, the, of the travel market, I think that that's um, quite the possibility where, where you're wanting to know that um, you've, you're wanting to still be able to have all of these amazing experiences, but you want to know that it's... Um, Safe. Yeah. Um, so probably more more planned, less um, yeah, le less unplanned adventure really, kind of uh, less just striking out into the unknown, more like somebody show me what what the unknown looks like and guide me through it in a way that is safe. Yeah. So the there's a. But at this stage, it's just a lot of interesting mm. um, opportunities. There's obviously a lot of um, very difficult um, things that are going to have to be dealt with um, in the in the future. But there's lots of um, there's lots of opportunities that yeah that hopefully can be developed into opportunities rather than into compromises. Um, so yes. I think that's what's interesting is is some, some of the direction, as in a number of other things in life through this moment, it's been a catalyst for change, but that change has been in a direction we thought we were going anyway. It's just literally sped it up. And I think that, that probably travel has been heading towards that more meaningful experience uh, direction for some time. Indeed. I guess only time will tell. Yeah, yeah different, different operators tell you different <laughs> things or everyone, you know, there's lots of stuff out there that says, oh, the, the, um, the, the, the high end is going to be the first to recover and then there's plenty of stuff that says the low end is going to be the first to recover, but um, yes. Young adventure. Time will tell. Yeah. Yes, time will tell. 
Well, thank you so much, Stuart and Felicity. It's been such a pleasure chatting. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy on a presentation and uh, I look forward to running into you perhaps deliberately instead of accidentally next time I'm in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Eve, Susan.